Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideIndieSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame dipped back into the transfer portal last week and received a commitment from former Rhode Island cornerback Antonio Carter II. The Irish targeted Carter as a safety, nickelback, and dime option for its secondary and they beat out the likes of Florida, LSU, Wisconsin, Ole Miss, and more in his portal recruitment. Rather than just talking about him, we decided to invite him on to this week's podcast. So, Antonio, thanks for joining us. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for having me. Antonio, what was the moment like when you realized that that Notre Dame was where you wanted to transfer? Um, it was great, honestly. Um, me and my parents, we were all on one accord. Um, we all felt that my dad kept uh teasing me a little bit beforehand um because he felt it um immediately and um we just enjoyed it and um we didn't want to keep wasting any, anybody's time um if we felt like this is the place we wanted to you know what I'm saying further my career I guess you would say so were you um planning to fly to Baton Rouge on Friday is that how things were laid out yes sir uh actually um the car service was uh, waiting on me um, after finishing uh, my photo shoot. I was supposed to uh, grab my bags and head to Baton Rouge, uh, go to the airport and head to Baton Rouge. But um, me and my parents were like, um, you know what? We're just going to stay here, um, stay another night and watch the game tonight and just enjoy ourselves because this is a place um, I want to be. So that's what we decided. How how difficult was it to to let LSU and Florida know that you had made up your mind and you wouldn't be visiting them? Um, to be honest, it's it was kind of hard for me. Um, because you know during this process you build relationships with people, and um, I'm big on relationships, and um, sometimes I think it's it's a problem for me because I want to make everybody happy, but in this situation you can't. So um, it was definitely a little hard for me, you know. Um to let people know that, you know, I'm committed and it's over with, but it, you know, sometimes you got to be selfish and think this is one of those situations I had to be selfish. Um, but I'm not in a bad way, not in a bad way, but it was definitely a little difficult. Uh, Antonio, uh, I actually covered your high school coach or the one that you finished your high school career with Clint Johnson. And if he ever okay. bragged about his speed, he is not exaggerating. He was really fast, <laughs> but I'm wondering what kind of uh, advice or what kind of info you got from him prior to your visit. Um, honestly, he didn't uh really lead or, or lean, as I should say, one way or another. He just um told me to just enjoy it and um you know continue to look for the things that I want and and kind of just take it step by step and he didn't really say too much about too much of anything he just said you know enjoy it and if the coaches have any questions let them know and then just let them know that you know I played there and stuff like that and that was about it he didn't really do anything much other than that so Antonio above all else why would you say Notre Dame was the right fit for you um honestly it was difficult um during this whole process um I was kind of stressing a little bit, but it is what I prayed for. And I knew at the end of the day, it was a blessing. And um, I just kind of had to find out which school was different from the rest. And, you know, they all gave me the opportunity to 
play at a high level, get the exposure that I need with great competition. And um, what I felt like ND stood out the most was the ability, the ability to build connections with people that, you know, could help you for the rest of your life. Like, say I do go to the NFL, I do play in the league. Um, the average person plays, what, like three to five years, I believe. Not Maybe not even that, but after that, I'll still be young. I'll still have life after. And I think that's where uh, Notre Dame helps me more than the rest of the schools. And, man, my parents felt that. And, um, you know, it's a great school, great quality school. And that's, I think, what, what was stood out the most, so. Antonio, had you ever seen one of their games like during this past season or in, in other seasons? Did you ever follow them at all or catch um, Yes, I've, I've seen Notre Dame a few times on, on TV because, you know, growing up, um, I watched a lot of football. I used to wake up Saturday mornings, <laughs> college game day. I'm, I'm excited. Um, and I always knew who Notre Dame was. I know what kind of school it was. But originally, I thought it was much bigger. Um, you know, you see the game and the fans and all that. And you automatically assume that it's a pretty big school. And um, when they told me it was 8,000, I was shocked. I'm like, what? Like, that's smaller than, you know, Rhode Island. So <laughs> um, that shocked me a little bit. But um, to be honest with you, it made me like it even more. Just um, finding out that not too many people are able to get into school like that. I'm like, I can't miss out on this opportunity, you know, to change my life, not only for the next few years, but longer than that. So. Antonio, you've referenced your parents a couple of times already. Why was it important for them to be a part of this process with you? Um, because they've they've helped me um, throughout my life, whatever decision it may be. Um, they helped me and they gave me advice. And um, I always just wanted their support in whatever I did. And they always gave me that. And then just being able to have them, you know, support this decision just gave me clarity that um, I wanted and just them being behind me all the way just made me feel more comfortable. So. Antonio, when did you start playing with the idea that you wanted to go into the portal for your last year of eligibility? Um, really like the end of the season, you know, um, I have friends or whatever. Um, just outside looking in like, oh, Tony, you need to, you know what I'm saying? Go bigger. Like you can do it. I'm like, man, I just took it with a grain of salt. I'm like, I'm not, you know, they can say what they want, but at the end of the day, they're not God or they're not the coaches. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, really just seeing the season and looking at my stats and stuff like that and just, um, you know, praying on it. I was stressing about it, honestly, um, because I didn't know what exactly what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted this, the decision to come from God. So, I prayed on it a lot, and um, my parents wanted me to go ahead and do it. And I was just looking at, you know, weighing the pros and cons of both sides, staying or going. And um, I got to the point where the coaches um, at Rhode Island, they were going to allow me to come back if um, things didn't go my way in the portal. So that was my confirmation, like, man, just go ahead and do it. If things don't go your way, you can still come back. So mm -hmm. um, I jumped in the portal, and then – things just started going crazy for me and I was like wow well yeah they did go crazy and they didn't yeah. go crazy when you were coming out of high school yeah so did you have <laughs> I mean did you did you realize all these power five schools were going to come after you so hard um I didn't I mean I had people tell me like I said but I wasn't you know 100% positive but it was like you said it was very different from um my high school experience but 
I mean, I was I was very happy about it. Um, like I said, I was stressing, but it was something I prayed for, and I knew at the end of the day it was a blessing. So I just had to take it as a blessing and um, just ask God to lead me. But no, I didn't. I didn't know what to expect, but I'm glad it went the way it did. So was there a moment like, oh man, this is for real? Like this is like this is gonna really pop off for me? Yes, for sure. Um, you know, all these coaches calling me. Not only that, but to have like um my D coordinator or like um you know my high school coach calling me like oh this coach called me I'm like why like so not they not just calling me they calling you know what I'm saying the other coaches to figure out like what's Antonio about like who is this kid you know what I'm saying and it was like wow like this is actually real like the the first or second day I'm just getting calls and I'm like I don't even have time to like coach sour like they just come and i'm like i want to show these coaches respect so you know i'm like i'm just answering the phone like not even worry about stuff i have to do but that's when i knew like wow this this is crazy so, so whoever put it together your highlight uh tape did a great job um and obviously you had a big part in that because you created the highlights but uh with your yeah. but uh um yeah, it it's um it's an it had to be an interesting process for you. But in terms of just what Notre Dame sees you as from, you know, Tyler at the beginning of the show said you can play corner, you can play nickel, you could play safety, probably either safety. So what do you feel like is going to be your best role in Notre Dame's defense? Um, first, to be honest with you, I appreciate you because I put together the highlights. So, thank <laughs> nice <you>. job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made thank it. You. But uh, nah. Um, to be honest with you, um, I want to be able to do whatever I can for the defense. Um, I think just talking with the coaches and stuff. Um, I'm gonna be at safety for for majority of it for the most part. Um, but you know, when I guess once they see me, um work and play and you know what I'm saying actually in their defense maybe they'll figure out what's best for me and the fit for them but um I think definitely safety uh will be the most I'll be um helping with and doing just because you know I have film at corner and they do have we do I'm gonna start saying we we do have two good corners um so um I think I could definitely help with um the safety aspect of it and, and is that much of a transition for you um, so even coming out of high school with the schools that did recruit me, um, they're asking me what, if I wanted to play safety and, um, I was open to it all. And so when I did get to Rhode Island, actually, that's what, that was the first thing I played was safety. And I was the second safety behind a five year started. Um, and then, um, that DC got fired and then the new one came in and he, we had a meeting. He asked me, I told him corner. He said, you know, what? I think you're a safety. So I played, I've played some safety. So um, at this level, it definitely will be a little different. Um, just learning the different things and stuff like that. But I think I'll get the hang of it. Um, I, I've always been open to playing any spot in the back end. So yeah, I and, think I'll be just fine. And Notre Dame has a history of working with corners and making them into safeties. Was that something that you tried to get a sense for, like how how they would maybe transition you to that safety position? Um. Honestly, I did hear about that, but um, I didn't think too much of that. But, you know, um, I did just after talking to them, I did trust them. And um, 
I know I can do it. So um, as long as they give me the tools and what I need to know, um, God will lead me and I'll be just fine. So that's how I saw it. Did you have a chance to meet Kyle Hamilton when you were on campus? Yes, I did. I did. That was cool. Um, I told him, I'm like, man, we like the same age. You might be younger than me, but I'm like, you almost like a celebrity to me. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. But, what did what kind of words did he have for you? Um, he was just saying it's a it's a pretty nice spot, and he was asking um what I got to see so far. And um, I think I want to say he said the grotto was his favorite spot. Okay. I want to say I can't remember for sure, but he was cool. Um, you can tell he's just very humble, and um, it was it was cool to meet him though. Um, Antonio, a big part of the transfer portal for a number of players is also NIL opportunities. How, how interested in that were you in sort of figuring out what the what those possibilities were at the various schools that you were considering? Um, so. Honestly, like at Rhode Island, I didn't have that opportunity at all. Right, so right. um just anything was, was good for me at the end of the day, you know, it's good, but it's only temporary, you know. The real money I'm trying to get at the end of the day is the NFL. So um what I would tell the coaches or what I did tell the coaches was um, you know, the only I guess way that would come into play is if I really can't decide out of two schools. <laughs> And I guess one of them just offered more money. Um, I think that would have came into play. But, um, you know, at these type of schools, they all offer a good amount. So um, I was I was pretty cool with, with I wouldn't say anything, but long as it's not like a low ball or anything like that, I was good with it. So, and I know, you know, once I start playing, if I, you know, continue to ball out and do better, it can always go up. So that's how I approach it. When, um, Rivals listed you as 5'10", 146 when you were coming out of high school. I'm not sure if that was accurate, but you're not mm -hmm. 146 anymore. No. So was that some of that natural growth or was that all work in the weight room and, and protein shakes and that kind of stuff? Um, I would say I was about like, I'm going to say like 160 something, 170 okay. most. Um yeah, so I was um a little like I I guess you'll say I look more like Linky, but um so <laughs> yeah I always um it was always like a personal like um I guess you would say like motivation like I didn't really have too many people at school like saying you know you need to get bigger or anything like that um but I wanted to get bigger and um so I was like one eighty one eighty something. And um, not the last season, but the season before that, I wanted to get the 190. And I actually did it. And I was like, wow, I got the 190. That was that was good for me. I was happy. And um, I played well with that weight. And then so this past season, I, in the summer, I got up to 200. And I'm not going to lie, I was kind of nervous. Like, am I still going to be able to play, you know, at 200? But um, I was moving with it. As I was gaining weight, I was making sure I was running around, you know, um, even my movements and stuff like that. So we were doing like 10 yard splits and it got faster. So I was like, oh, wow. Like, I was happy. Like, okay, that's my confirmation. Like, tone, like, you good at 200. And I just played last year at 200. And I think it helped me just as far as like tackling and setting edges on linemen and, you know what I'm saying? Things like that, tackling and all that. So I think it definitely helped. And uh, yeah, it was definitely a motivation for me to just 
continue to grow and get bigger. So, Antonio, what would you say is the most important thing you learned about yourself at Rhode Island that gives you confidence that you'll be able to take this next step? Um, really, um, just having God on my side, like, um, you know, I cut all the BS out. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that. But I cut all that out. Um, I focus on things that really matter. Um, just try to change the way I go about like my daily life. And I just, um, I kind of got like this superstition. Like, if I don't like do what I need to do as far as class or like turn in my work, like I won't do good on Saturday. And um, I think really it might sound crazy, but I think that's what will help me. Like just making sure I focus because as long as I'm focused and I'm doing what I need to do off the field, I, like, I feel like the things on the field will follow. And um, just keeping God first, um, that's what got me here now. Like just really changing what I do and really seeking after him. And he allowed me to, he just showed me what he could do for me. Like I really didn't know it would go this way and I'm just thankful. So I think that will help me just continue to move forward. Before I ask you my last question here, um, okay. I reached out to Harrison Leonard, your kicker, who mm -hmm. had been at Notre Dame and to get a scouting report. And he's, he was all over it. He's like, this guy should have been a power five uh, defensive back from the start. So uh, I'll share that with you. But, uh, uh, I, I was curious what your impressions of Marcus Freeman were and had you really known who he was before you got on campus? Um. So, yeah, I, I would say I did know who he was because um, like I watched some games last year and um. You know, just I'm like, okay, this is a new head coach, and just find out about him like he was young. Um, I guess you would say for a head coach. Um, but when I met him, he was cool. You know, um, very personable, um, very chill, um, and it's just relatable. And um, I enjoyed him for sure. And he showed a lot of energy and things like that. So, yeah, I enjoyed him for sure. Wait till you see him in the weight room with you guys in summertime. Oh, yeah, they told me about that. <laughs> they told me he's just throwing up 315 like nothing. Okay. okay. And, Tony, before we let you go, what, what are these next few weeks going to be like? In order for, I mean, you, you're graduating this weekend. Mm -hmm. You'll be at, at Notre Dame's campus before long. What? How, mm -hmm. how, how much of a whirlwind is this going to be? Are you prepared for the transition to get things moving and getting to Notre Dame? Um. I was just telling um, one of my friends, I'm like, it's gonna be like, it's gonna be bittersweet for sure. Like, um, a lot of things are changing all at once. Like, I'm graduating, I'm leaving a lot of my like friends that you know, more than friends, like some of my brothers that we've built great relationships with. And but on the other hand, I'm moving on to you know, what I'm saying bigger and better. So, um, it's definitely gonna be a lot of different emotions. Um, I'm going to be sad and happy at the same time. <laughs> um, just sad that I'm leaving, you know, my boys. and um, But happy that I'm moving on to bigger and better things. So um, I think I'm definitely excited. And once I get there, I'll be ready to work. And um, I think I'll be adjusted pretty well. So I think it's going to work out. All right, Antonio. Well, we really appreciate you taking time to join us. Um, yes, and best of luck with the transition and getting things rolling in Notre Dame. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate y'all for having me on. All right. Now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Mike DeVoy at Mike DeVoy1. 
I enjoyed the podcast with Brady Quinn and the discussion of portal shopping for a backup quarterback. If Drew Pine hadn't transferred, he'd be quarterback too now. My perception is that Steve Angeli is less experienced but has more upside than Pine. Opinions, question mark. Well, first of all, thanks for listening to the podcast. And um, secondly, I mean, Steve Angeli for us is still largely a mystery. We've not seen him throw a pass in a game. We have seen him in practice. We've seen him in a couple of blue gold games. Based on that, I would say he has more size than Drew Pine. He has a stronger arm, probably a little bit better runner. Uh, but I'm not sure when you put that all together and having to read defenses, how that would play out. Um, you know, it's Drew Pine's experience. You can't wash that away. That's, that's an important part. Uh, so, and, and then the other thing about Steve Angeli is he's really got a very narrow window of opportunity as I see it. And, and Tyler Buckner helped open that a little wider by leaving, but you know, he's got, more highly touted guys behind him that I think Notre Dame coaches also feel like have a higher ceiling than Steve. So, uh, you know, I think probably the best case scenario for him is to be the number two quarterback this year to get some experience and to hold off Kenny Minchie from passing him up. And then maybe he'll have an opportunity to compete for the job in 2024. But I don't, I don't see that as happening. And, I don't know that, you know, they, they would be really that thrilled to have Drew Pine be the starter in 2024. I think this is going to work out for the best. Right. Yeah. I'm not certain that Steve Angeli has that much more upside than Drew Pine. If I like, I, I mean, I understand that he looks more like a quarterback than Drew Pine does just based on his size, but um, I don't know. I, I think there are just as many, if not more questions about what Angeli can do as a passer, just because he hasn't done it. Um, I know our rivals analysts were not big fans of him coming out of high school um, in terms of his ranking and rating. Um, he didn't, he wasn't necessarily a prolific high school quarterback in any way necessarily either. Um, so, so I don't know. Steve Angeli to me has always been a prove it guy. I, and I, I, I would, you, I would, you would say the same about Drew Pine, but Drew Pine went out there and did some things that you say, okay, I, I can see what they're trying to do there with him. Um, he had some moments, particularly not last season, but the season before when he stepped in as a, as an emergency guy and, and gave, gave a spark. I, I don't know if Steve Angeli has the same sort of intangibles that Drew Pine has. Um, and I think that that was a big part of Pine's game. Um, so, I would I I mean I I think everyone would rather have Drew Pine as their backup quarterback going into the season than than Steve Angelia. I mean I guess not everyone. I think most people involved in uh being the coaches I think would would probably prefer that just cuz I think you have a better sense of what Drew Pine is whereas Steve Angeli I'm not sure there's just a lot of question marks there and I don't despite folks wanting and thinking that he was that close to getting on the field last year when Drew Pine was struggling. I don't think he ever really was. I don't think that was ever a serious consideration from Notre Dame. All right. Next question is from at Alan Sturgill last recruiting cycle. ND seemed to be in on a lot of four and five stars this cycle. It looked like more three and four stars has ND taken a step back in the quality of players. ND is looking at. Um, 
I think we got to let this play out a little bit more. A lot of big names are coming in and higher stars are coming in in June. Uh, you know, my sense why it looks a little bit different uh, is because I think in some cases, Notre Dame is ahead of the evaluations. You know, there's some three stars like Carson Hobbs who Notre Dame is absolutely sold on. They don't feel like they're reaching at all for a kid like that. And, and they believe, well, I don't know that they really care, but I think he's eventually going to be a four-star uh, prospect. Tyler may think differently. He's seen Carson more than I have, but. Uh, well, no, I didn't. He didn't go to the Cincinnati rivals camp. That oh, was, that was like his show. chance to like, Hey, let me give you, let me like convince the other analysts that you deserve four stars, but he wasn't there. So unfortunately I don't have yeah. that ammunition. So, and I think Notre Dame is also maybe more aware in the cycle of which prospects absolutely have prioritized not only NIL, but NIL acquisition fees, and that this isn't going to end well for Notre Dame. So they've maybe stayed away from those products. Um, I think, you know, there's really only four position groups where I feel like Notre Dame, you know, the, the talent may be in question, and that's offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, and safety. And yet I think there's good enough prospects, especially on O-line, D-line, and linebacker, where this actually will end up pretty well for them. I'm, I'm less convinced about the safety position, so that's another reason to celebrate Antonio Carter the second being on campus. Yeah, I, I think it's not it's not only that I think Notre Dame is maybe ahead of uh, our analysts in terms of the evaluations that the recruiting analysts have been able to do. I mean, for for instance, like Notre Dame got three commitments in Georgia while Rivals is in the middle of bringing in a new Southeast analyst in charge of Georgia. So I want to see what those ratings and rankings look like after John Garcia Jr., our new Southeast analyst, weighs in on that. Um, but even Teddy Rezac was on the list um to get a rating but it hadn't been given a rating before nd offered this is sort of the part of the cycle where the analysts are are preparing more information um and gathering evaluations to update the the rankings in the summer uh so they haven't done that yet and so notre dame is already moving on some guys that maybe are in those in those positions and i think that goes back to notre dame is farther along in its recruiting cycle because it's not this recruiting cycle isn't like Marcus Freeman taking over in December of the year before. Like this is a full recruiting cycle where the whole operation was rolling and they were working ahead of schedule rather than um, sort of putting things together on the fly. So I think that has something to do with it. I mean, Notre Dame has 16 commitments now. It didn't get its 16th commitment until June 30th in the last cycle. Um, it already has a lot of guys and, and a lot of needs and positions filled. I, I think that this, this class is going to continue to grow. Um, but I think Notre Dame, Notre Dame is, was so far out in front of what it was doing. It's already exhausted. It's early options at positions that, that maybe had higher rank ratings and rankings. I don't think Notre Dame is going after them less with less frequency, but they've already moved on past the guys that they're like, well, let's stop pounding our head against the wall for Sammy Brown out of Georgia as a linebacker because he, he doesn't want to come here. Um, but yeah, we'd love to have him, but he doesn't want to come here. Um, so they have to move on to other, other linebacker options. So I think you, you we're seeing that um, at, at different positions. And I think it's part of just like Notre Dame is at this stage where like, okay, we've exhausted our options with these guys. 
we're not going to sit here and try to fight back into something. Um, because if we, if we waste our time doing that, then are we going to miss out on these guys who we think are maybe sort of the next big thing um, and not have a chance to get those guys in the mix? Because, I mean, if if Notre Dame waits two weeks, I, see, I, I I mean, with Teddy Rezac, I don't know that Nebraska would have offered until after Notre Dame did. I think Notre Dame maybe forced its hand. But let's say let's say Notre Dame doesn't offer but really likes him, and then N- Nebraska offers him in June and when he, if he gets on campus for a camp. If that happens, he's probably a Nebraska commit, and Notre Dame can't really get in that fight. Um, so I think that there is some strategy in terms of when, when Notre Dame is deciding on when to offer guys. Um, and if it feels confident in its evaluation of a kid, regardless of who else has offered them or what their rating is, they're going to make a move for that because they, they have needs to fill still at a number of positions. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Can you give your thoughts on linebacker recruiting? The last two commitments are both high ceiling guys. Do you think it was too early to take them? Do you think the staff is settling as they are worried they won't get better players? Or do you think they'll fe- they feel so confident in the last two classes of recruits that they feel they can take some flyers in this class? Well, I think uh, Tyler did the spoiler um, in the last <laughs> on this. Uh, so what I will say for this question is I think where Notre Dame is now largely because they you know missed on somebody like Peyton Pierce and because they couldn't get traction with Sammy Brown on some of their prospects they've maybe emphasized traits and potential over actual production and and think hey these these people are going to fit in well with our packages or they're going to fit well on our base scheme and that's where I think you see Rezac and Bodie Cahoon I mean Bodie is a really incredible athlete who is a developing football player and uh, really high upside because of his traits And, and so I think that makes sense for some early targets but they could finish strong you know Chris Cole from Virginia is a three-star guy and just from the little bit of film that I've watched of him it's hard to see the three-star there um and I think other schools confirm that he just got a offer from Alabama in the last week or two and then of course the highly recruited guy with with production and potential is Kingston Villamuasa who's going to come visit in June so again I think probably a mix of, of different things going on with linebacker recruiting. And, you know, yeah, I mean, the fact that all three of those freshman linebackers could play and the two sophomores that haven't converted into Vipers look like keepers and that they'll be future starters. So I think Notre Dame really is in a pretty good position with linebackers. Yeah, to me, it would it, it'd only be too early – to take the commitments that they've taken, if you don't have room for someone like Kingston Villamuasa, but that's not the case. There's still room for him in the class. They're not. They're not. They're not filling his spot with someone else. And you mentioned some of the names. Notre Dame has has moved on because those guys didn't want to come to Notre Dame. Peyton Pierce committed to Ohio State. Cole Sullivan committed to Michigan. Even before that, Cole Sullivan's teammate Anthony Specka committed to Penn State. You mentioned Sammy Brown. Aaron Childs was someone that Notre Dame was looking at. He's he's looking elsewhere. So, I mean, if you want to, if you want to make the argument like, well, Notre Dame shouldn't take Teddy Rezac, so because it should take Chris Cole 
or it shouldn't take Bodie Cahoon because it's a, it should wait to take Brian Huff. I mean, you can do that, but I think that's a little bit splitting hairs. I don't know that there's massive differences between some of those guys. Um, to the, to the Chris Cole point, like uh, I actually just spoke to Adam Freeman yesterday about him specifically when I was talking to him about Bodie Cahoon and like I was talking about the previous question with the evaluation part of it from the rivals analyst point of view, like uh, Adam Freeman said he just saw Chris Cole recently. Like it was just, I don't remember which days that's why I'm not saying the day, but it was within the last week um, and he was very impressed with him. And so he, um, I think he sees what some of the colleges are seeing. We'll see if he his star rating reflects that in the future. Um, But he had some good things to say and I plan to put those together um, and, and share those with the entire lounge, which I have a chance to just didn't get to that yesterday. Um, so I, I think that's, that's sort of where Notre Dame is. It's, it's, it's gotten to the point where it wants to, it, it needs to expand its board because there's not enough options that feel like they would be coming to Notre Dame if they just sat there and waited around. And, um, so now, now what happens? Will there be four spots if Chris Cole and Kingston Villamu also want to join the class? I'm not sure. Um, I, I think, I think it will be hard for Notre Dame to say no to Kingston Amuasa. I think they would, there probably would always be a spot for him. Um, so if Chris Cole wants in the class, then I think Notre Dame's got to make a decision. Is like, okay, do can we take him and Kingston if Kingston wants to come later? Um, so I don't know that that's how things will play out, but those are the things that Notre Dame has to decide. So um, I still think that Notre Dame is in a, a decent spot. Um, and I sort of understand what Notre Dame sees in Teddy Rezac and Bodie Cahoon and why they – why they targeted those guys. Another question from Marie, how difficult do you think the transition from corner to safety will be for Carter, Carter being Antonio Carter? Uh, Ultimately, where do you see him this year starting at safety depth player starting for certain packages? Question mark. Well, Marie, I did you one better. I actually asked him the question in the, uh, (laughs) in the interview so that you could hear what, his assessment is and I mean when you look at his highlight tape he looks like he could play safety and do a really good job at it again that's a highlight tape we're not seeing the low lights but you look at his stats and they scream kind of safety qualities with all the tackles and it's not like he's making tackles down the field because somebody completed a pass on him Um, so I I think he's going to be a really versatile defender who can play different roles I mean he he could play nickel and and do a good job with that um if they had some injuries at corner and he needed to step in but I think ultimately they would like to see him be a two-year rotation guy and that doesn't mean depth that means playing uh a lot of snaps at the at the two safety positions Notre Dame likes to play for and I that's the um until further notice that's the uh role that I see him in is, is somebody that's going to be a big contributor both this year and next. Yeah. And, and in addition to Notre Dame liking to play four safeties, it, it also showed a little bit this spring that it likes to play three safeties at once. Um, there's some, there's some, some interest in those kind of packages. Um, and so I think that opens the possible, the possibilities and, and his skill set allows you to do some of those kinds of things. I think it's sort of similar to like what, Ramon Henderson is able to do in terms of he has been a little bit of, he has been a cornerback before played some nickelback. Um, so I think that it just gives the the secondary a lot of flexibility um, and you could have guys mixing and matching a lot. So as long as they can get on the same page, I think, I think there's a lot to like there. So 
Notre Dame has certainly done it before in terms of transitioning cornerbacks to safeties. It's honestly, other than Kyle Hamilton, that's usually the route that many of them take. They don't necessarily start at safety. Um, by the time they get through Notre Dame, then they end up at safety, whether it's DJ Brown, Ramon Henderson, Sean Crawford. Um, other, Notre Dame has, has uh, plenty of experience converting cornerbacks to safety. So I think uh, Antonio will be someone that can do that as well. All right, next question is from at Henry Bede. With three open scholarships, what are the three positions that Marcus Freeman should be looking for in the transfer portal? Well, I think with with the addition of Antonio Carter, you really are looking at luxury maybe over need, um, unless injured players dictate the need. So, so for example, if um, – if uh, Jadarian Price had a setback or the tight ends, both tight ends had a setback with their ACL that changed their timeline, uh, or you had an injury like Jadarian Price had last year at the beginning of summer, if you had something happen in the next few weeks before the start of summer school, um, then this changes the dynamic. But let's say everybody's healthy and recovering on time. I would say... If I had to pick probably an interior defensive lineman first, uh, I would go with the unicorn quarterback who would come in and be a backup this year and try to compete next year, who I'm not sure exists. And then my third pick would probably be a wide receiver, but it would have to be somebody that could play. I think if you're bringing in somebody for depth, they're going to be really disappointed because there's the young receivers in this class and in the next class are going to jump over them on the depth chart if they're here more than a year. Um, so I would say somebody that that's a one and done receiver that could give you some leadership and experience. I mean, that's possibly maybe another safety. Although if, if I was, it would have to be somebody that had just finished their freshman year. That was going to be a, a developmental guy with high upside. Yeah, you'd probably rather recruit more safeties than – although it's not like there's a, a long list of high-caliber safeties that, that are lining up to come to Notre Dame in this recruiting cycle, but um, I think you'd probably rather have that than uh, bringing in an older guy. Um, I, to me, there's like – there's two, and then the others I could, I could take your – I could be swayed. To me, it's defensive tackle, um, wide receiver, the top two positions, and then – is there a tight end? Is there a running back? I, I include quarterback. I, I, to me, that seems far-fetched to, to make that work and for it to be someone that is actually worthwhile to bring on the roster um, that is willing to do that. Uh, so if you made me choose between tight end and running back, I'd probably choose tight end um, just because of the injury history of more of those guys. Um, and, uh, I think running back, you still have that luxury a bit with, uh, Chris Tyree. If you absolutely need to bring someone in, uh, in a pinch, you can just move him back to, from slot to running back and be okay. Next question is from David Alvord at Papa Giol. Surprised to see Logan Diggs is still uncommitted with the staff consider recruiting him back to Notre Dame. Well, He's visited, to my count, South Carolina, Ole Miss, and LSU. And just looking at the rosters at Ole Miss and LSU, 
he's not going to be the guy probably at either place there. He would be kind of a luxury depth piece at, at both places. Judkins at Ole Miss is their number one guy and LSU and talking to their coaching staff. Uh, they feel like, again, he's not a need, but they like him as a player. And then South Carolina is pretty far from Louisiana. And I think he wanted to get closer to home. Um, so I guess he could come back to Notre Dame and I, I would suppose he's welcome. There's certainly a scholarship. I don't see that happening. I, you know, I think he'll probably end up at Ole Miss or LSU or, keep looking for something that's close in that area. I think he's only going to play one more year. So um, that's my assessment of the situation. Yeah. I don't know that the staff would consider recruiting him back. I, I, it, to me, it's not the same situation as Tyler Buckner. Um, Notre Dame didn't do anything to give him a reason to transfer. Um, he was getting carries. Um, he got hurt in the spring. Um, and then he, felt compelled to, to enter the portal, whereas Tyler Buckner um, got leaped over by Sam Hartman being recruited out of the transfer portal. Um, so I can see Notre Dame being willing to take Tyler Buckner back, but not willing to take Logan Diggs back. Now, maybe maybe they would be convinced and say they, they would swallow their pride and do that, but I just think he's just not committed because he's working through his options. I think figuring out what the options are um, – we weren't sure if LSU was an option and still, I guess, don't know for certain if it is that the fact that they were willing to host him for a visit indicates that likely that they would, they do feel good enough about him to potentially bring him in um, and that he would have a role there. But I, I think that um, he's just sort of, he's just sort of figuring out what, what the best situation is for him. And I think he probably has more suitors than the ones that he's just visited already. So um, he's a talented running back and he's going to see what, what fits him best. But I think it's, he didn't just necessarily jump in the portal, portal knowing where he was going, I don't think. Um, and so um, that's why it's not already solved. All right. Last question we have is from Charles W. Wolf. What position battles are you most looking forward to in camp? I would say I would start with the offensive guard, uh, right guard with uh Rocco Spindler and Andrew Gustafik and whoever else, I guess, can wedge themselves into that race. Um, slot receiver, you know, it's Chris Tyree and probably Jaden Greathouse there, uh, and they'll probably rotate anyways. I, I don't think it's a race for number one at tight end with Mitchell Evans, but I think there's a pecking order that's going to be kind of interesting with if everybody's healthy with Bauman and Rarden and stays uh, all those guys competing for playing time, the field end between uh, the two hyphenated guys, uh, Javante Jean Baptiste and Nana Osafa Mensa, and maybe Brendan Burden gets in that uh, conversation. Maybe he's that good. The will linebacker spots fascinating to me. If, if, uh, Kaiser, Jack Kaiser can win that spot. Um, and then that kind of makes the Nick or the Rover interesting. And then who's going to be the nickel? I mean, we assumed that it was going to be Thomas Harper because that's what they went, got him from the portal. But now you've got some other options. Clarence Lewis played there well there in the spring. Uh, Antonio Carter can play there. Uh, Ramon Henderson. So that's going to be an interesting spot for me. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, to me, like, so many of them are, like, rotational situations. Um, like, offensive guard is the one that's like, okay, there's going to be a starter there uh, at those spots, and who who's going to win those starters? And I, whoever gets second it might not might not play much at all unless uh, things don't go well. Um, but, like, the other position is, like, wide receiver. Like, what does that rotation look like? How many of those guys are actually going to be counted on to play? Um the safety position we we know what those who the names are like what does that look like how does that play out are we getting a lot of Xavier Watts and Antonio Carter together does DJ Brown play more does Ramon Henderson play more I think I'm sort of fascinated to see what that looks like Uh, the linebacker mix that you mentioned um, I think is pretty interesting and I, I know I'm certainly I'm sure that many fans will have opinions on how it plays out um, based on the the reactions to the linebacker play last season, um, so yeah, there's a lot of different positions there. Not as much. There's just so much more rotating that happens on a regular basis that it's not necessarily like okay, this is the guy and he's the one that's going to get all the carries. What does the running back situation look like at, behind Audric Estime? I think that that'll be an important um, development as well. So there's a lot of different things that we'll be looking forward to monitoring. In the camp, in some summer camp, because it'll definitely still be summer by when Notre Dame starts camp uh, uh, later this year, getting ready for its first game uh, in Dublin, Ireland at the end of August. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who could take care of Eric's power at his home. We'll be live on YouTube Thursday night for the latest edition of Football Never Sleeps. Hopefully, Eric doesn't have to do that for Martins. Uh, But check us out on YouTube uh, if you uh, haven't done that already. And make sure you subscribe to us uh, over there as well for free. Um, Eric and I likely won't be on a podcast together over the next probably like four weeks as we start to take turns on vacation. But we'll likely get Charleston Bowles in the mix during that time uh, with a lot of recruiting coverage. So keep an eye out on Twitter and the Insider Lounge for our next request for questions. And until then, stick with InsideIndieSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs.